You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. You can take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2, and uh, ushers are coming down here in the main worship theater as well as in the live stream theater with Bibles, and we would love for you to have a copy of God's Word in your hand this morning if you forgot yours at home, or if you do not have one, please raise your hand and you can um, take that Bible. You can either borrow it, and if you don't have one of your own, please take it home, and it is going to be the best Christmas present that you could ever receive uh, this Christmas season. And it is the mighty, the powerful Word of God, and we love the Word of God here at Hope Bible Church, don't we? Really? We really love the Word of God here at Hope Bible Church here in Kelowna, right? All right, on. Live stream, can we hear you yell too? I didn't quite hear. Walls are too thick. Yeah, that's it. That's the excuse we're going to use, and you're just so reserved, so Canadian in there. You don't want to yell too hard, but they gave a good cheer here about that. So um, Matthew chapter 2. Uh, you know, tis the season, it's the crazy season, but it is also tis the season for Christmas specials and movies, and, and, and whether you are someone who uh, likes the old classics, Christmas specials and movies, do we have that up there? We got that screen going there? Right on, all right, some of the classics that are out there, um, and, and there's all new classics perhaps that are coming out, and whether they are old classics or new releases, these shows oftentimes it seems there's some sort of a crisis or some sort of misunderstanding or misfortune or confusion or sadness that, that, that makes, you know, you just kind of like, oh no, what is going on? I hope they make it. I hope in the end it all works out, and, and, and most of these Christmas special whether it's on the Hallmark um, channel or on, you know, just whatever television or whether you stream it or have it on DVD, whatever it might be. It just kind of seems that you go through these Christmas specials and then, you know, it all seems to work out in the end and afterwards everyone is all kind of, you know, gathered around the Christmas tree, around the fireplace and they're singing joy to the world or silent night or we wish you a Merry Christmas and they all lived happily ever after. And that's the way so oftentimes these Christmas shows go, and, and we like them, we watch them, and you know, watch them year after year. Some of them might make us laugh, and, and, and yet a lot of them kind of get you right here, you know, just right where it counts, and, and, and it's so important you know, that, that we watch these as, as part of our Christmas tradition. But for some, and, and some of you here today, Christmas is the most wonderful time of year. I mean, you started planning and prepping and decorating already back in November or maybe even before that because you're really strange. But you just love Christmas season. You just love it. And you love the Christmas lights and the decorations and the concerts and the baking and the family togetherness and the joy and the excitement and the break. Maybe it's the break from school or work and just the normal routine and so on, so on. We just love this. And for some of you, it is just the most wonderful time of year. And yet for others, and, and, and some of you here today, it is the most dreadful time of year. Whether it be past memories of Christmas gone by, a better time in the past of what Christmas used to be, or maybe it's because of the loss of relationships, relationships that were one time close and now there's estrangement, there's distance and there's hurt. Or maybe you just don't like Christmas because it's just so materialistic and it drives you crazy. I saw a post just, I think it was yesterday, and it said, if 
What if the wise men gave their gold, frankincense, and myrrh to one another? Think about it. What if they gave their gold, frankincense, and myrrh to one another instead of to Jesus? What would they be? North Americans, right? You know, and you think about it, you know, and, and, and just how we, you know, get so caught up in the gift giving and all of that sort of thing. And even though you smile at Christmas and you say, I wish you a Merry Christmas to people, and you do kind of go through the motions, you would just wish you could just press fast forward and get out of Christmas and get to January the 2nd. Just get through all the festivities, and, and, and you would be, you know, first one, if it was a volunteer job to shred Christmas trees, you'd be happy to do it. You would just love sh shredding any Christmas tree you could get your hands on. And let's face it, we live in a broken world, and a broken world where there is kind of this struggle or this gap, it would seem, be between the idealized Christmas, the Christmas we have in our heart, the Christmas we have in our mind and what we hope for, and then the real life experiences and the sadness and the loss and the loneliness or the anxiety or even maybe even despair. And it's not that maybe just a Christmas thing, maybe it's an all year thing and it easily can be that, where the hurt and the despair or the loneliness or the disillusionment isn't just at Christmas. It's all through the year, but it's just greatly magnified during the Christmas season. Uh, a guy by the name of R. Williams said this, we are in the middle of two things that seem quite contradictory. In the middle of the heart of God, the ecstatic joy of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and in the middle of a world of threat, suffering, sin, and pain. This is part of the already but not yet kingdom of God. Christmas tears. Christmas tears is a real part of life. And, and you know, the very first Christmas was filled with such joy and such excitement, and oh, how we love to romanticize the Christmas story. We sing about it. There's paintings, there's drawings, there's Christmas cards and paintings of, of different sort. There's reenactments. Just look at some of these glorious-looking scenes. And No, not that one yet. Um, these glorious different scenes and, and different things that, that we have and, and uh, even, you know, how the nativity, just even if you go backwards again on one of these here, you just see the nativity, just how perfect and how calm and how right and how the baby's not crying and, you know, having a temper tantrum or anything. It's just so right and so perfect and, you know, we love these kind of nativity scenes and I think I showed you, you already saw it um, and I think I showed it to you this year, uh, last year, the millennial nativity um, set that you could purchase. Uh, that's right, there you go. You know, there, there's, you know, Joseph and Mary taking a selfie there at the manger and the wise men showing up with their Amazon um, parcels. And then even if you go on to the next one there with the, uh, that's right, there's the 100% organic cow and, and the sheep and, you know, the uh, delivery or the shepherd boy on his tablet, I guess it might be. And, and, and so you see this and, and now new for this year is the climate change nativity. Take a look at this one. Crazy, hey, this is somewhere in the United States, I can't remember where, but it's basically everyone's flooding out because of climate change, you know, and so, you know, and, and you just go, oh boy, this is just getting silly, and it is, there is a part where it's just silly, but when you think about it, that very first Christmas, in the midst of the joy and the excitement, and even for 
Joseph and Mary this new life, this son that Mary gave birth to. And the confirmation and the encouragement of the shepherds, these strange, awkward shepherds coming and and worshiping and confirming just what has been going on in their lives. And, and, And they talk about the angels, how the angels came and had this message for him and told him where to find them. And 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 then days later at the dedication of the presentation at the at, at the temple, just the words of encouragement from Anna and from Simeon that 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 they weren't out to lunches as a young couple thinking that this was the Messiah. There was confirmation, and then sometime later, whether it be months or maybe even up to a year or or maybe even 18 months, the visit of the, the wise men that came, all of these just timely and meaningful confirmations and encouragements to Joseph and to Mary. And yet Christmas wasn't just a time of excitement and joy and fun and enthusiasm and excitement and worship and praise, and, and it, there were tears. There would have been tears that first Christmas, and there have been tears at Christmas ever since. And from this passage in Matthew 2 that we're going to look at here this morning, we're going to see some reasons for Christmas tears then and reasons for Christmas tears even today. I love the way God's word is so applicable to our lives and, and, and just as Joseph and Mary experienced and, and, and others around that first Christmas experienced Christmas tears but also found Christmas hope, you and I through our Christmas tears or through the tears throughout the year can find hope because of Jesus. And there is hope because unto us a child has been born, unto us a son has been given. And the first reason, amidst the tears we can find hope, but the first reason for Christmas tears is a series of or a sudden crisis. And, and these kind of things can all of a sudden just come out of nowhere and, 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 or else sometimes it's just kind of a slow fade of a, a, a series of events one after the other that just continue to keep building. And when you think about that very first Christmas, everything seemed to go on as normal. Everything p- perhaps as planned as well as it could have, uh, you know, despite, you know, the visits from the angel and, and uh, to Mary and Joseph about this special child that, you know, the virgin birth announcements that would come. It wasn't normal, was it? It was very unnormal. It was very strange, actually. It was very, didn't go as planned as they would have hoped. I mean, who gets the announcement from an angel of that you are going to conceive the Messiah, the Son of God. And how awkward and difficult this must have been for them. And, and then that untimely census that came where here she is about ready to give birth and they have to go 70, 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And then she has to give birth in a stable because there's no room for them in the inn. Then these strangers, these shepherds showing up and they're worshiping your baby. And, and, and then the purification at the, the temple a few days later. Yes, it was confirming again to hear those words that your son, that Jesus was the Messiah. But also those alarming words from Simeon when he would, uh, that are recorded in Luke chapter 2. When he says, says to Mary, he looks at her and he says, and a sword will pierce through your own soul too. How encouraging is that? You see, sometime a little later for Joseph and Mary after the events there as they laid their newborn in the manger, sometime after that, things would get a little bit more strange for them. A new crisis would come. A new series of events 
would emerge, and it became rather sudden and very critical that they move on it. And so we're going to start reading in verse 1. It says in verse 1 of Matthew 2, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. You see, when the king was troubled, everyone was troubled. It's kind of like at home, when mom is angry, watch out kind of thing, you know, and, and you better, you know, be careful, or I guess the same can be said about dad, depending on your home, and, you know, but when the king was troubled, all of Jerusalem was troubled. You see, this was Herod the Great, and Herod the Great was a very powerful, angry, jealous, paranoid king. I mean, this guy killed his own wife, her mother, and grandmother. I mean, he, anyone who just ticked him off or he was paranoid about, they crossed him in some ways. Three of his own sons he had killed. And basically, anyone who was a threat to him or to his kingdom, when he came to power, he had most of the Sadducees, the religious leaders, executed, along with over 300 of his government officials. I mean, this was just the kind of guy that he was. Emperor Augustus, Josephus wrote this about him, that Emperor Augustus said this about him, that it was safer to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. I mean, this guy was just terrible. And you see, King Herod considered himself to be king of the Jews. And he's like, what? What's this? A new king? A king of the Jews? This cannot be. And so he's troubled, and as if the king is troubled... Everyone is troubled, as we will see. Verse 4, And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem in Judea, for so it was written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring him word, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it wrote, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, the visit of the wise men would have been such a huge blessing and encouragement to Joseph and Mary. You just think about it, you know, there, there were a number of months, maybe even a year had gone by since his birth, and now they have this, again, a confirmation. And these wise men come after this long journey, and they're worshiping, not Mary, but they're worshiping Jesus. And they're bringing these gifts, and these gifts would have been a blessing because Joseph and Mary would have been quite poor. 
And all of a sudden now in the midst of this encouragement and this confirmation, there's a new and sudden crisis that emerges in verse 13. And when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. You ever get woken up in the middle of the night rather suddenly? Has that ever happened to you? And, and, and you're just so bewildered and confused and wondering what's going on. Back in my single days, I had a roommate. I wanted to make him an ex-roommate after this, but we had a stereo system. We kind of joined forces and had this killer stereo system in our apartment. Now, in our apartment, you really couldn't play music very loud, otherwise you would be in trouble, but... Regardless, we had this really rocking stereo system, and boy, that thing could put out, you know, it was amazing. And I, one time I went to bed, and, and another friend was over visiting, and I went off to bed, and, and I had nicely fallen asleep. And here they had uh, this sound effects video that, or, or DVD that they were playing, or CD, I guess DVDs weren't invented yet, but this was a, a compact disc. It was new technology, sounded awesome, and it was a sound effects one. And in the middle of the night, as I am out cold, I, they play this sound effects, and they turned it up so loud, and it was either the sound of trumpets, or it was the sound of um, a train engine or jet engine, something like that. It was so loud, and in the middle of the night, I'm just woken up by this loud rumble. Everything is rattling and shaking, and I thought Jesus was returning. And I'm just like, let's go, let's go. And I'm like, not going. And I'm thinking, there's a problem. You know, like, and I'm praying and I'm like, hook him, I'm not going up. Like, I thought for sure Jesus was returning. And for some reason, I mean, it had a lot, I, mean I was in a cold and instant sweat, not just because of the loudness and being scared, but the, but the, the thought that I wasn't going. I, what's going on here? Well, next thing you know, my roommate and this friend were at my door killing themselves laughing. Yeah, I wasn't impressed. Um, we still continued on. We patched things up, and I forgave him, and then I got married and kicked him out, which was awesome. Anyways, uh, so, but for Joseph and for Mary, all of a sudden, Joseph is woken in the middle of the night. He has a dream, and there's a new and a sudden crisis. Joseph, get up. Get up. Herod is about to kill Jesus. Go now. Pack up. Get out of here and go off to Egypt. You've got to go. Again, their world is turned upside down. Nothing is going as planned. One commentator said uh, that I read this week, he says, the shadow of the cross falls over the story from this moment on. Jesus was born, and very early on, there was a price on his head. And now he, along with his parents, are fleeing to Egypt, and they become refugees in a foreign land. You know, a series of series of crisis or all of a sudden a sudden event has hit and can hit us rather instantly in many ways. And maybe that sudden crisis comes from a phone call, a conversation we have with someone, an email, a text message, a diagnosis from a doctor. And suddenly you're in crisis mode. You hear the news and your head. I don't know if you're like me. When that happens, my head just starts spinning. And everything just seems to slow down and race up all at the same time, if that makes sense. And, and, and it seems like all of a sudden everything changes. And it's like, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, what do I do now? And all of a sudden the future looks a lot different than it did just a few moments earlier or maybe a few days earlier. And whether it is a loved one who passes from this earth 
a loved one that is no longer with us. And, and at Christmas time, this can be especially hard. Or whether it's that first Christmas without a loved one or the 10th Christmas, things are just never quite the same again. Or perhaps it's an estrangement in a relationship that the holidays only seem to magnify. Maybe it's financial stress, a relational landmine that you're walking through with someone and it just doesn't seem to be getting any better. Maybe it's something with your career, your job, there's uncertainty. Or maybe there's an accident, an injury or a diagnosis, the decline in health or maybe even abuse of some sort that you've suffered. Christmas tears or tears all year long are real. They're a real part of life. And sooner or later, we're all going to find ourselves yet again in that reality. And many of you have been in that reality throughout the years. Live a little while, it will happen. Yet like the Christmas story, we see that even in the series of crisis or sudden and instantaneous crises that come our way that God is at work and that there is hope in the midst of the crisis. But another reason for Christmas tears can be far from home is because you're far from home. Look at verse 14 and it says, and he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt I called my son. They were already 70 to 80 miles from home, being in Bethlehem. Nazareth to Bethlehem was about that distance. And now they are told to pack everything up and head off to even further away, to head further south, to head 80 miles at least into Egypt. For a young mom not having family around or close friends, being with complete strangers in a foreign land. There would have been loneliness and sadness not having those around that could be an encouragement and a help. And even then the uncertainty for Mary and also for Joseph that Herod is out after your son. Maybe he will send spies. Maybe he'll hire, you know, find out that they're in Egypt and come after them. And yet, even all of this was under the watchful eye of God. They stayed there until Herod died. And then Joseph was once again told in a dream that they could return home. Now, God could have sent them anywhere and, and through the message of the angel, but he sent them to Egypt. And, and this fulfilled, as we've already read, this prophecy that is found in Hosea chapter 11, where it says the Messiah would be called out of Egypt. This would be the second great exodus out of Egypt. For God, earlier, generations before that, sent his people into Egypt for safety, for protection. And then they came home years later under Moses. But Jesus would also return from Egypt. And today, perhaps you're far from home far away from loved ones, and this Christmas will be different because of that. And maybe it's not just because of actual miles distance or kilometers difference. Maybe it's relational d distance that is going on. And that can be a reason for Christmas tears. Things just aren't the same. Jesus knew what it was like to be far from his heavenly father, from his heavenly home. 
The story of Christmas is God with us, God coming to earth, coming, Him leaving His heavenly home, and for 33 and a half years, He entered our world. He came as a little baby, leaving the glory of heaven to come to this earth to redeem and to rescue all who would call upon His name, all who would call Him Lord and Savior. In Hebrews chapter 4, we are, are told that we have a high priest, we have a Savior, we have Jesus who can sympathize with us in our struggles, in our temptations, in our battles, in our weaknesses. He knows, He feels, He cares, He has a plan. For Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus, it was all under God's watchful eye. And believe it or not, folks, if you are a child of God's today, whatever it is that you are going through, you are under His watchful eye today. He knows, He loves, He cares. Another reason for Christmas tears, if I could get someone to get me a glass of water, please. My throat is just not in a good place today. Another reason for Christmas tears, unspeakable loss. Unspeakable loss. Look at verse 16. It says, And then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years older and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. As I mentioned earlier that Herod was a cruel, a cruel, paranoid, and a violent, violent man. And he orders this mass killing of all the Jewish boys two years and younger in Bethlehem and vicinity. Now, sometimes we think this was hundreds and thousands, perhaps, of young boys that were killed. But given the population estimates at this time for Bethlehem would have been around four to 500 people in the vicinity, maybe up to maybe another couple of hundred of people. And it is believed that it was probably around 25 to 40, maybe up to 50 young boys, two years and older, that were killed. And could you imagine the cries and the laments and the weeping that would have been heard throughout that area when the soldiers came in and did what they did, were ordered to do? This is all part of the Christmas story, and yet we don't sing about this, do we? We like singing about the nice parts, the, the fancy parts, the cute parts, the, 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 the aspects that make us feel good. But this is all part of the Christmas story where there's rejoicing and there's weeping, there's Christmas joy and there's Christmas tears all wrapped up together. Thank you. So good. Unspeakable loss for parents to lose a child. An unspeakable loss comes to us in many different ways. Three weeks ago, standing at the graveside as a mother fell down on her knees as she watched her son be lowered into the ground. Unspeakable loss comes as we say goodbye to our earthly parents 
or family members or dear friends. Unspeakable loss can come at the end of a relationship that we maybe have been very close to people in and it all changes. Maybe unspeakable loss happens through a series or through significant decline in health or through betrayal or infidelity in a marriage or the loss of innocence because of physical or sexual abuse. These are unspeakable. There's no words for some of these things, for all of these things I've mentioned. And other things that come, there's just no words, but there's tears. And even as it says there, and unable to be comforted. And tears not just at Christmas, but tears throughout the years. All, all year long, whether it be in the middle of the night or during the day when your thought and your mind gets triggered on certain things. This is all part of this broken and this fallen and messed up world that we see happen in Genesis chapter 3. But even in Genesis 3, in, 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 as, as sin is introduced into the world, we also see the promise of a Savior that will one day come and deal with this unspeakable loss and hurt and sin. And so it's not just tears at Christmas, but tears because of this broken and fallen world, this unspeakable loss is a reminder again of this already but not yet kingdom of God. This term Rachel weeping in Ramah, you might wonder, what's that all about? Well, that date, dates back to, five, um, to 586 B.C. This is in the time of Jeremiah. We read about this in Jeremiah 31. He was a prophet who spoke for God, who wrote historically, but also prophetically. Historically, this was Rachel weeping, and it's almost poetic in some ways, and yet it's not a sweet poem. Rachel weeping refers to the events that took place in, in, in the 500s BC when young Jewish boys were rounded up by the Babylonians and the, the smartest and the fittest and the brightest were taken and exiled into Babylon, into Babylon and, and the others were oftentimes killed. This happened as a result of Israel's rebellion against God and refusal to listen to the warnings of the prophet. They were carried into in, into exile, and there could be heard Rachel weeping. And Rachel is a reference to Israel as a mother, as the mother of Israel. She was the husband of Jacob and, and, and the children of Joseph, Old Testament Joseph and Benjamin. She was a symbol of Israel's mothers throughout the generation, weeping for their sons. And so once again, not only did it happen in 586 B.C., but it also happened now at the birth of Jesus. Rachel weeping stands for all who mourn, all who suffer. Her tears, Rachel's tears, and the tears that we shed can be ugly, brutal, so devastating. This is the result of sin. The sin-messed-up world that we live in, and it just continues to keep going. Yet we also have a promised Savior who did come and will one day come again. Yet there is hope in the midst of Christmas tears. And this hope that we find in the midst of Christmas tears is, is a reminder that God is faithful to His promises. According to, to God's word, for these babies, for these babies that died back in, 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 at any time throughout human history, 
as we read God's word, that the moment that a baby dies, whether that baby dies in the womb or outside of the womb, they go instantly into the presence of God, who gathers the little ones in his arms and says, forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God's. These little ones would have been transported instantly into the arms of our loving Heavenly Father. And Jesus, the Son of God, who escaped Herod's sword, you think, how come it didn't seem very fair that Joseph and Mary got the warning and the others didn't? You think they could have all maybe headed for the hills? They could have all taken off. But Jesus did escape Herod's sword this time. But God would preserve his son from Herod's sword so that one day he would die on the cross for the sins of the world. Listen to this. Jesus escaped the first time so that he wouldn't escape the second time so that you and I could escape for all time. What an amazing reality. Jesus' death and resurrection would make a way for these mothers 33 years later, to be reunited with their babies if they indeed would trust him as Lord and Savior. For a young child who has not yet reached the age of accountability to be absent from the body, for them to die is to be present with the Lord. And for all others past that age of accountability who have put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, there is the hope beyond the grave, and not across my fingers, I hope there's a heaven. It is a confident assurance of hope beyond the grave, hope in heaven. And that hope is found in the one who conquered sin and death. Jeremiah 31, it even continues on then, in the last part, of, uh, in verses 16 and 17, we have the amazing promise, but it even continues on that he would wipe these tears away, that he would overcome. He knows what we are going through. He is Emmanuel, God with us, which means he is with us in our suffering and our pain. He is with us in a series of crises or when the sudden crisis hits. He is with us in our loneliness. He is with us in the unspeakable loss. I'm going to ask Elaine Embry to come at this time one of the dear ladies in our church, and she's going to share with us here this morning a bit about her journey from a number of years ago, how she experienced unspeakable loss, but has also found incredible hope in Jesus. Thank you. Christmas of 2003 was the worst of my life. At the beginning of that year, I had just lost my mom to leukemia. And a month later, my father-in-law died from a heart attack. In May, my beloved husband, Frank, who had been battling brain cancer for 18 months, succumbed to it. Four months later, our family home and everything in it was completely destroyed in the Okanagan Mountain wildfire. And then, less than two months after that, my mother-in-law also died of cancer. There were days when there was nothing anyone could say and there was nothing anyone could do to make me feel better. It felt like life stretched out ahead of me with such uncertainty 
that I didn't know what to do next. It was like I was out on a dark night in a deep, stormy sea, treading water, not being able to see where I was, not seeing any land, not knowing what to do next, completely exhausted, lonely, frightened. And every so often, a wave crashed over me with such force that I thought it was going to drown me. I so wanted to stop treading water and just sink. But then one night, I was reminded of how much Frank loved life and how fortunate I was just to be alive. I was so tired of being sad and overwhelmed. In that moment, I decided not to sink, but to swim. I didn't know where I was going and I doubted whether I would have enough strength to get there, but I made a decision to start living and not just existing. I started by doing some practical things, taking better care of myself, eating better, exercising, and avoiding self-medication in any way. I also did grief work, unpacking my grief, facing it, talking about it, and most importantly, finding a new normal. I did some grief counseling and I joined a grief support group. I also started intentionally reconnecting with people. I pushed myself back into bigger social situations too, the kinds I had become obsessive about avoiding because I imagined they would be so uncomfortable. Before my losses, I had read about the stages of grief. They're said to be denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. The author gave the impression that once you work through these, you're done, you're healed. Yay. But unfortunately, no. I learned the hard way there are so many more emotions connected with grief than those five, and I discovered they certainly don't go in a neat, tidy order. I also learned that while those practical things are important, that under my own power, I couldn't overcome the despair. The absolute only means by which I ultimately survived was and is my faith in God, in Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. This is the truth of why grief didn't drown me, and I stand before you today. Without God, I would have ultimately not had enough strength to keep swimming through those stormy waters. Without his love and his presence, the darkness of my lonely nights would have overwhelmed me. And the sadness I felt about all my losses, the bitterness that sometimes swept over me at times because of the unfairness of it, would have drowned me. It's only through him that I found my way back to solid ground and to a life filled with more joy and peace, hope and love than I ever imagined. I found my way back through time spent with God, at church, with fellow Christians, and most especially alone with him, calling out to him in prayer, journaling prayers when I couldn't speak, spending time reading my Bible, and not being afraid to lay all my emotions at his feet. Through his word, he reminded me of his true loving character, how much he loves us, how much he can be trusted, how he is always with us, that he longs to comfort and assure us that he alone is our rock and our salvation. He alone is our hope. As I struggled to understand the whys, he reminded me of the brokenness 
of this world, that the incredible beauty and perfection that he had first created has been corrupted and destroyed by sin. But he loves us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die, rise again, and defeat death, so those who put their faith and trust in him may have eternal life. I stand before you a survivor of life-shattering loss because of his amazing saving grace. He gave me the intimacy I yearned for, the comfort and peace I sought, the hope that helped me to understand that I had a wonderful future despite my past. He reminded me that our time here on earth is but a minuscule speck compared to the beauty of all eternity. God's love is a love that is unlosable, a love that is perfect and eternal, and a love that will never die. For those of you here today that are grieving, hurting, or discouraged in any way, you may feel like no one understands what you're going through. And you're right. No one on earth can fully know. But God does. He knows and he cares, and he loves you so much. Trust in him and his promises. In him you will find hope, love, joy, and peace. And we know that is all glory to God. And how we can walk through these unbelievable times. We're thankful we don't have to walk through them alone. We have the body of Christ. We have others. But ultimately it is Jesus. There is life in the midst of loss. We hear that in Elaine's testimony, but we also see that here in the story of Mary and Joseph and Jesus. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, weeping will last for a time, but joy will return. Joy will return in the morning. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean tomorrow morning, but just as sure as morning comes every day, God will see us through. And either we can suppress it, we can bury it, we can find certain substances to see us through it, but those things will never help or fully bring healing. It's only through Jesus. That life that she's talking about, the life that we're talking about here is surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ, to his rule, to his reign in our lives, making him the Lord and Savior of your life. You see, Christmas is all about Jesus coming to this earth. He became like us. He became one of us. He experienced what we've experienced. He experienced deep grief and loss and loneliness. He can identify with us, but then he also made a way by conquering sin and death. He was the ultimate sacrifice for us, paying the penalty for our sins. If you have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ today, I would strongly encourage you. It's the only way. By simply taking and expressing a prayer to him of just, I'm done, I'm done trying to make it on my own. It's understanding that you are a sinner, that you have sinned and fallen short of God's standard of perfection. And because of that, we are under his penalty, under his wrath. 
but that Jesus in him coming to earth, dying on the cross, absorbing sin, taking our sin, absorbing God's wrath upon himself, it all placed on him that we could be set free. And that comes by believing him by faith, trusting him as our Lord and Savior, turning away from our agenda and our way and say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. If you've never done that today, you can pray a prayer in the quietness of your heart this morning. And for the rest of you, if you have given your heart to Jesus Christ, whatever situation it is that you are facing, whether there are Christmas tears, New Year's tears, Easter tears, summertime tears, September long weekend tears, whatever, whenever throughout the course of the year that we are in, we can face all of these different emotions and circumstances. But as we lay our situations down before him and say, I can't, God, but you can, there's healing and there's hope and we worship him. I'm going to ask the band to come at this time. And we're going to worship him, but before that, we're going to pray. And so, God, even right now, we come to you, the God who brings hope, the God who brings help. And we are so thankful you are not far off and a distant God, but you came near, you came to this earth, and you come near your children today by your Spirit. And not just near us, but you desire to enter into our lives. And God, I pray that even today there would be a cleansing going on as we confess our sin and we, we repent of our sin and we ask you to wash us and then cleanse us and then fill us with your grace, with your mercy, with your forgiveness and with your spirit to be made alive and to be made new, whether that's for the first time as a new believer in Christ or whether it's been a long time for some believers here who've been wandering and straying and it's time to come home and to find that you are the real hope of Christmas. You are the hope of life. You are the hope in eternity. You are hope for all things. Whatever the situation, God, would we surrender that to you? Would we worship you here this morning? Meet us here, we pray.